Thanks, Mindy. Hey, guys, so glad that y'all are here with us today. My name's Clayton, the pastor here at Central. Uh, thanks for um, tuning in. If you're online with us or being here with us this morning, hey, uh, we're, we're continuing our series, and we want you to be able to follow along. So um, up on the screen, there's going to be a, a QR code. You can go and you can get the notes um, for today by using your phone and the app on your phone to be able to do that. Uh, but we're in, a, in the middle of a series called Squeaky Clean, and we're looking at, at God's grace in our lives. And last week, we talked about how a bunch of Jesus' miracles and we looked at, at different ways that he gives us a fresh start. And there's a realization that we need to understand that that, that fresh start can happen really fast. And God can, can do a miracle in your life, no matter what um, is going on or what situation um, you find yourself in. Well, today we're going way back and we're going back in history. And I don't know about you, but I really liked history class when I was growing up. Anybody like a history buff in here? Okay, some of you guys are history buffs. I mean, it doesn't matter what class it was, whether it was world history or U.S. history or state history. Man, I loved um, going and being a part of, of my history classes because I love to see how people um, did things back in the day and why they did the things that they were doing and how it has affected um, who we are today. And when you're in history class, you go and you get a big textbook, don't you? And you open it up and you can just scroll through the pages and you can see um, the story of people's lives and decisions they made. But I was wondering, what would it be like if everybody in this room were, were given a textbook and on it, it said, my story. And it was a textbook of your life. All of your highs and all of your lows. All of the great decisions you've made and all of your deepest, darkest secrets, all the things that you've done, what would you do? How would you feel? Well, if it was me, I would round all those up and burn all of them, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want anybody knowing all of the bad things and the bad choices and the bad decisions I've made in my past. I mean, my, my grandmother always told me, Clayton, don't ever do anything that you wouldn't be able to come back and tell your Mimi about, you know? And I hate to say this, like there are a lot of things I've done in my, in my life. I'm like, I'm never telling my Mimi that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go and tell her and share with, all, with her all of that. There's a, a problem we have that we all have a past, don't we? We have things that have happened in our lives and things um, that have, have changed who we are. We have sins, we have, we have mess ups, we have curveballs that have come in our lives. And in some form or another, we all have a past. That's why we need God's grace. God's grace that forgives us and gives us a second chance. And, but there, even with God's grace, I mean, the, the past can really be kind of debilitating and, and really keep us from living the life that God has called us to live. And that is, not, that is not God's plan for your life. And so for us to look at that today, we're going to go way back in history. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Exodus because God has a different plan for you and for me. And as you're turning there to the book of Exodus, I want you to imagine that you are um, out on the golf course and you go to the first tee and it is your first time to ever play golf. And so you go up there to the tee and you're looking like, looking like uh, this situation, but you don't look like that guy. You don't have any, any uh, you have flip-flops on, you don't have any golf shoes on, you don't have the golf attire on, you don't even have any clubs. Like you have no idea what you're doing. And all of a sudden, a guy pulls up on a golf cart, and he's got a whole other bag of clubs, and it is um, Dustin Johnson, the number two golfer in the world, the, the number one American golfer in the world, and he comes up and says, hey, I've got all the gear you need. 
here's your outfit, here are your shoes, here's a brand new set of clubs, and you know what, I'm going to teach you everything I know. And so he gives you a crash course of how to play golf, and you, you get up there to the tee, just like this guy does here, and you hit your first drive, first drive ever, and you just crush it. You notice that it sounds perfect, it doesn't swerve to the left or the right, and just kind of rises off in the distance. It's just this perfect drive, you're like, you know what, this game's pretty easy. And you go to the, to the next shot in the middle of the fairway and you hit that one and it goes right up to the hole and you go over there and you tap in for birdie. The very first hole of your entire life, that's what happens. That'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? That'd be pretty awesome. I, I would think that that would be the incredible beginning to your golf career. Well, in a weird twist of fate, that's kind of how life started out for Moses 3,300 years ago. You see, before his life began, things were not looking good for him. Just like a golfer goes up on, onto the tee box and has no idea what his, he's doing, the future does not look very good for him. That's how Moses' life began. So let's look at it in Exodus chapter 1, starting verse 11, okay? Hey, I just want to tell you all, today we're going through a bunch of scripture. Um, so man, get your, your fingers ready, okay? Whether you're scrolling, um, whether you are turning pages, but get ready um, for today. So Exodus chapter, chapter 1, starting verse 11, here's what the Bible says. Before Moses was born, it says this. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithon and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. And they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And so the Hebrew people became slaves, but it wasn't enough for Pharaoh. Pharaoh hated the Israelites. And so he actually wanted to humiliate them and to destroy them. So look what happens in verse 15. It says, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were, were uh, Shifra and Puah, when you're, having, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live kind of crazy to think about. So Pharaoh makes this decree in verse 22 and says, he gave this order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So the scene is set for Moses to be born. And here's what happens in chapter two, verse one. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Man, twist the fate, right? Man, it stinks to be born a, a boy during that time. Imagine, can you imagine all the, the boys that were killed um, during this time? And this was Moses' fate. This was what's going to happen to his life. He was either going to be thrown into a river and drown, or he's going to be a slave for the rest of his life. Those are the only two options that Moses had. And he goes on and says, halfway through verse 2, says, when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. And that's about as much as she could do. I mean, she just couldn't hide him any longer. And verse three says, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus, uh, sorry, a papyrus basket um, for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen next. I mean, almost all of us have read that story before. We know what's gonna happen. We, we know intimately the, the details of the story. But check it out in verse five. It says, then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying 
And she felt sorry for him. And she said, this is, the, this is one of the Hebrew babies. And look what happens in verse 10. The Bible says that he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. This little baby had, had no chance. He didn't have a name. The best thing that his mother could do for him was total abandonment. That was the only shot that he had. And so that's what happened. He didn't have a name. He had no future. And the princess of Egypt finds this baby and gives him the name Moses, which is Hebrew for to draw out of the water. But it's also the same word, very similar to the same word in Egyptian that means son. And so he gets, she gives him this name. And this baby, who goes from having no chance, ends up bursting with potential. Moses ended up being a, a man who bursted with potential as he was growing up. It was a rags to riches story, guys. From someone who had, had no shot in life to someone who was the grandson of the Pharaoh and had all of, all of every, everything you can imagine that you would want in life, Moses had this. So I want you to go back in your imaginary golf story, okay? So you finish first hole, maybe it's just a, a fluke, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just everybody has one of those holes. You know what those holes do? They just keep you coming back to play golf again. She's like, you know what? That was a perfect, if I could just do that 18 times, I would be a professional. You know what I'm saying? So, so you had this first hole and you think it, okay, that was just, maybe it's just a fluke. And so you go to the second hole and it's the same thing happens. Perfect drive, perfect chip up. And you just, you tap in third hole. You actually make an Eagle from 150 yards out. I mean, it's just, it's just the, the, the most amazing round of golf that anyone has ever had. And you go through the front nine all the way through, and it is just, it's just incredible. You finish the first nine holes, and you go into the clubhouse at the turn, and you, you go and get you a Gatorade and a Snickers, you know, and you're just taking, taking a break, and you're putting on social media, hey, you need to come out here and, and check this out. I need to gather a crowd, because no one's going to believe what is happening um, to me. And so then you begin to walk up to the tee box on the 10th hole, oozing with potential. You're ready for this. And then you realize something, and all the golfers in this room realize this. Then in the game of golf, there's always a back nine, you know? There's so many times I've, I've played uh, golf with a front nine. I'm like, if I could just replicate this, this would be the best round of golf I've ever had in my life. And after the 18 holes, I just don't want to tell anybody that I even played. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's just terrible. It's awful because there's always a back nine. And I think there's something also we need to realize in life that just like in golf, in life, there's always a back nine. There's always a moment and opportunity for a wrench to be thrown into your plans and things not go the way that you planned. And that's exactly what happened to Moses, a prince of Egypt. Look what happened in Exodus chapter 2, starting verse 11. It says, one day, after Moses had grown up, so he spent his entire childhood, maybe in his 20s, into his 30s, I mean, everything was going great for him. I mean, he had everything he could ever imagine. His life is perfect. He went up to where his own people were and he watched them at their hard labor. So he realized that he was a Hebrew and he watched them. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Premeditated murder. The Bible says he looked this way and that to see if anybody was going to see him. So he had a plan. He goes to this guy, kills him, and then he tries to bury the evidence. Bad news. A bad wrench that's thrown into his plans. And the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. 
He realized it wasn't a secret anymore. His past had caught up to him. The things that he had done, people knew about it. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Moses' life was ruined. And he flees not only his past, but he he flees his promising future. You know what I mean? All the things that he was going to have in his life. He had the perfect retirement plan. He had money in the bank. He had privilege and responsibility and fame. And people worshipped him. And all of a sudden, all of that is thrown away. And Moses messed up. He messed up big time. He crashed. He burned. He fell from grace. Whatever you want to call it. He made this one bad decision. And it affected everything. It's like you're back on that 10th tee box and... You get up there with all this potential, and you just shank one. You know what I'm saying? That's the story of my, my golf games. You just shank one into the rough, and you go over there, and you make, man, I don't know what's going on. And, and you hit another one, it goes in the water. And you hit another one, it goes in the water again. You finally make it up onto the green, and you, like, three or four or five putt. You know, that's, that is the story of me playing golf. Like, everything that you had planned, all the way, all the things, that you, the future that you had planned, it just goes to ruin. In a more serious way, that's, that's where Moses found himself. But then while living in his failure, something unexpected happened. He flees. It's not going well. He realizes life is over and something else happened. Look at Exodus chapter 3, starting verse 1. It says, Moses, he was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So a lot of things had happened, guys, I mean, between this. Um, a lot of stuff is going on. He's, he's uh, in, in this whole new land for a long time. He's got a whole other family. It says he's, he's tending the flock of his, of his uh, father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And so this guy who was a prince is now a shepherd. This guy that used to command people is now commanding animals. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that through the bu- though the bush was on fire, did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. That's just the weird, one of the weirdest verses of the Bible. You know, like just that saying, like, yeah, I think I'll go check that out. Of course you would, right? So he goes over and, and he, he visits this bush. And verse 4 says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God, God called him from within the bush. Moses, right? I mean, God's got a little deep voice, you know, Moses, Moses, you know what I'm saying? So Moses, he calls Moses, and Moses says to him, here I am. And in this opportunity, in this moment in time, Moses meets God. And perhaps it was was the very first time that that he met God. Down in verse 9, here's what God says to Moses. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Do you know how long Moses ran from his problems? Anybody know? 40 years. 40 years. From the time that he murdered someone to the time that God meets him. 40 years of running, hiding, hiding from his failures running from his problems, letting his past dictate his future. And then he meets someone and everything changes. And when Moses met God, he gets this glimmer of hope. He gets this this slight glimmer of hope because he had had no future, guys. He'd left everything. 
He'd gone to a foreign land, learned a new language, a new culture. His life, his previous life was completely ruined. It was gone. 40 years of running from his problems. And then he meets God and he gets this glimmer of hope. That's, that's an incredible story. And he was given this purpose. and He was given this calling, this new calling in his life. But you know what happens? You would hope that Moses would be like, awesome, let's go. God, I mean, God, I've had this burning bush experience. I'm ready to go and do whatever God's called me to do. You would hope that that would be the, the, the story and the outcome, but that's not what happens. Moses begins to doubt himself. Look at, look at some of these verses. In verse 11 of Exodus 3, Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, who, who am I? Or what kind of he's saying is, don't you know who I am? Like, you've picked the wrong guy. You shouldn't have picked me. You should have formed a committee or something and, and found another guy, a better suitable, suitable um, uh, person to go and do the things that you want me to do. Who, who am I? Like, do you know who I am? In verse 10 of Exodus 4, he says, I have never been eloquent. Because to describe all of his faults and all of his, his uh, hiccups and his problems, he says, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He says, I don't have what it takes. I'm not your guy. Down in verse 13 of, of Exodus 4, 4, he says, please send someone else. <laughs> Anybody. Like, like, I've got some other buddies. Like, they would probably be better. You know, I've got some family. They're, they're good. They'd be better than me. They're, they're more qualified Please send someone else. And Moses, he whines and he complains and he says to God, God, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for what you're calling me to do. I don't have the skills. I don't have the knowledge. I don't know the right people. I don't have the connections. And my past is too messy. People are going to know what I did. They tell stories about me to their kids and say, don't be like Moses. You want me to go back and you want me to do something incredible and try to, try to turn this ship around? I am your, I'm the wrong guy. And he carried this weight. He carried this weight. And I wonder how many of us do the same thing. The things of our past, they change us and they dictate not only our present, but they dictate our future. I wonder how many of you, you started out great, kind of like how Moses' uh, fresh start happened. You would look at your life and you go, you know what, I was, I was that perfect church kid. Came to church all the time. I got good grades. I was respecting my parents most of the time. I lived this normal life and this kind of privileged life. And you think, you know what, I, I was oozing with this potential. But then something happened along the way. The sin began to creep in. And bad decision after bad decision has kind of scarred you and created this past and you know what? Some people might know about your past, but you know what? Some of your, life, some of your past may be, be completely in secret, but it weighs heavy on you. Whether people understand it or know it, or whether it's completely hidden, it weighs heavy on your spirit. And it's begun to take control of your life. And you had all this potential, and you could have done incredible things, and you've been used by God, and you look at yourself and you go, you say, you know what? I'm unqualified. Like, God cannot use me. For some of us in this room, you know what? You might have not have had a great start. Life might have been difficult from the very beginning. And you lived in sin from an early age. And things were done maybe to you from an early age that has scarred you and hurt you. 
and created a past that is so heavy and such a burden that you feel like you can't be used by God. There's no way that scarred up, messed up me could ever be used by God. Man, everyone in this room, that's probably our story. In some way, in some level, at some degree, we all have a past and it, we feel like it, we can't be used at all. And so what happens is we doubt ourselves. And we say, I can't because, and fill in the blank, you know? Or I am not good enough because. What I'm trying to say is that we have a lot in common with Moses, you know? The story of Moses can kind of be the story of our lives where we had great potential and great things could have happened, but somewhere along the way, we screwed up and messed up big time and it changed everything. We realize we're not squeaky clean and we have a past. It's easy to let that past control you. So what in the world are we supposed to do? How do we change this thing that's going on inside of our hearts? So here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 43. God says this, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Now, there's some, there's, there's some levels right there that we could break that down and, and think about this, this verse. Forget the, the former things. Don't, they, don't let them control you. But really, in a deeper sense, when we dwell on that stuff, when we dwell on our sin, when we dwell on our mistakes, when we dwell on the things that have happened to us, it can control us, can't it? It can, it can affect who we are. It can affect our relationships and how we deal with people and our decision-making and how we even view what's, what could happen in the future. It changes everything in us. And God says, don't dwell on those things. He says, here's why. Here's why you shouldn't dwell on those things. He says, see, I am doing a new thing. I'm doing something different. And he describes it. Now it springs up. Do you not, deceive, not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. That's, that's, that's an incredible imagery of God saying, I'm taking what is dirty and broken and desolate, and I am making it alive. I am changing things. So if I'm doing those things, then you don't, don't need to dwell on those things anymore. You don't need to dwell on your past anymore. You know what God said to Moses when Moses was complaining and saying, you know what, I'm not good enough. There's no way that I can do what you're calling me to do. You know what God told him? Exodus 3.12, God says this, real simple, I will be with you. I will be with you. What God is really saying to Moses is that I'm all you need. You can't change your past, but, but I can change your future. You may not have what it takes, but I'm enough. He told Moses, you can't carry this burden any longer, but I can. I can give you freedom, I can give you hope, and I can give you a future. What he's saying is, I will be with you. And he proves it, and he goes on to describe, or the Bible goes on to describe what, what God did to prove to Moses that he's got it. That God's strong enough to handle what is broken. He goes, and, and there's, there's a stick on the ground, and, Moses, and God says, Moses, pick up the stick. So Moses picks up this stick and turns into a snake, you know, which is kind of crazy. I mean, I would have thrown it and then chopped its head off. And that's just what I would have done if it was a snake, okay? So, but, uh, but he did that. And then there's another story that you may have not, not um, heard about. We don't talk about it a lot. But he tells Moses to take his hand and put it in his pocket pretty much, like put it in, in, his, in his jacket pocket and take it out. And his hand turned leprous, just completely ruined and messed up. And he says, okay, now take your hand and put it back in your pocket. And he goes and puts his hand back in his pocket. He takes it out, and it's completely healed and restored. 
And God began to show Moses time and time again that I've got this, that I can handle it. And I'm going to show you through these signs that I'm big enough and strong enough to handle all of your issues. You can trust me. You can trust me. You know what the greatest sign that God has ever given us to show that he's in control and that we can trust him? It's Jesus. It's Jesus dying on the cross. It's his, his death and his resurrection to show all of us that God's got it, that he's in control. No matter what sin you have, no matter, no matter what your hangup is, God can restore and God can heal and take care of us. And for a lot of us in this room, as Christians, we need to live that way because we have put our hope and our trust in the fact that God has saved us from our sins. But you know what the reality is? He may have saved us from our sins, but, he let, but we still have our sins controlling us. The things that happened in the past control the way we live now and the decisions that we make. And most of those decisions come like this, saying, you know what? I don't think I can be used by God. God, God might be convicting me here, sitting around here or listening online, but you know what? That's, that's for somebody else. Someone else needs to step up and do, do the things that God is convicting me about because my past is too much and it's controlling me too much. And God says, I've got this. You can trust me. For some of us here, maybe, maybe you, you don't have that experience, that you don't want to know what it means to have that relationship with God where God cleanses you from your sin and from your past, and you're just carrying that weight around, and it's burdensome. But here's what the Bible says in 1 John 1, 7. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus, his son, it purifies us from sin. So God takes your sin. He's, he's willing and able to take your sin and cover it with the blood of Jesus to the point where he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the blood of Jesus. And so that should give us freedom to be able to go and do the things that God wants us to do because he doesn't remember our sin anymore, so we shouldn't either. He should free us to be able to live the life that God has called us to do. That's the story of Moses, a man who messed up big time, a man who's just like all of us, we got sins, we've got pasts that can really affect the rest of our lives. For 40 years, Moses, he ran from it all. How, how long have you been running? How long have you been trying to hide your sin? How long have you been running from the future that God has for you and the ministry he has for you and the calling he has for you? And God is saying today, stop running. I'm calling you. You can trust me. Look what, I've, look what I can do. Read my word. Hear the stories of people in this room. God can handle it. If he can change Moses, he can change us. So let's live that way. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for, thank you for the story of Moses. What a, what a simple story, yet it's pretty profound because we are like Moses in a lot of ways that our sin, our faults, our failures, the things that have happened to us, maybe it was, wasn't our fault at all. Our past can really be a burden. So God, I just pray for everybody in this room right now. Maybe this entire sermon, they've been thinking about that thing in their past. Maybe there's been so many things that they've 
lived with the, the weight and the burden of that for so long. And God, I just pray for them right now. God, that you release them of that, that they would trust in Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, to wash them clean, and to give them a future. A future that's not burdened by sin, but a future that is trusting in God and going and doing everything that God has called them to do. God, what a, what a freeing, freeing feeling that is. To have a future that is open to whatever you're calling us to do. So God, I, I pray um, for everyone in this room and those watching online that there's burdens, there's sins, they would cast them at the feet of Jesus. They would put them down at the cross. They'd ask for forgiveness, God, and that you would restore us. That we wouldn't live with the weight of all that sin on our backs. But instead, we would live with the blood of Christ covering over those sins so that we can live the future you've called us to live. Help us, God. We know we have a past. We know we're not squeaky clean, but God, you can make us that way if we'll trust you. Help us to trust you today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.